Well, I need a little bit of some crowd participation here. Travis, you ready? Can you catch this? Okay, Dave. Probably not. I love the honesty. You got now markers a lot smaller. I believe in you. If you didn't see, Christy came in and tried to snag it from there. That's marriage. Thank you for that great illustration. Um, what I need you to do is take off that marker cap and then write your name on the ball as big or as small as you'd like, recap the marker, and then pass it to someone else. Then I want, if you get the ball at any point, I re resist the urge to throw it across the sanctuary, please. Pass it to someone next to you. Just keep it going until I ask for it back later on. Cool? Thank you. Who has seen the new Disney movie, Encanto? Raise your hands. Oh, I love that. Do we talk about Bruno? Do we? We don't talk about Bruno. No, 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 no. Um, has nothing, absolutely zero things to do with what I'm going to say today. I just want, I'm just curious about, about, about um, but I do love Disney movies. I am a very proud 23-year-old man, man who loves Disney movies as much as the next toddler does. Um, the talking animals, the, the childish jokes, the surprise musical numbers, they get me. They always have, they always will. And there's, there's this thing when you, when you look back at, especially the older Disney movies, there's a common theme. And that's when the two main characters fall in love, right? You've got, you know, Aladdin and Jasmine, and Street Rad, and then the Genie, and then, you know, Magic Carpet Ride, and Cure Love. It's fantastic. You got Ariel and Prince Eric. She's a mermaid, and then she grows feet, and then she falls in love, but she can't talk. Oh, no. And then they fall in love. You even got two dogs falling in love. Lady and the Tramp, you know, the romantic spaghetti and meatball scene. It's wonderful. But then we rarely, if ever, get to know what's next. We're led to believe that, that marriage and, and love are the peak of all these stories. And then usually there's, there's some sort of animal sidekick and an overweight best friend left behind. That's kind of the narrative of these stories. And I don't think that they necessarily led culture this direction. I think culture led this direction and entertainment industry followed. Because you look at where our culture's at and you see plenty of discounts for couples you see more love songs than we know what to do with. You see an entire holiday for love and marriage. Um, and especially in West Michigan, family is at the core of our value system. Most of what we decide is important is based on what's the best for my family. And if you're not, if you're not a single, you, you might not quite realize what this looks like. And I want to start here by saying, if, if you're not a single this morning, if you're married or in a relationship, um, this isn't your cue, as you probably realized today that we're talking about singleness. This isn't your cue to just check out for the morning. Um, because there, there's, there's people in your life right now that need to be loved by you. There's, pe there's single people in your life that need what, what you're going to hear today to be loved by you in a better way. And we as the church are called to love and care for each other. And the better that we know each other, the better that we can do that. And singles, I'm not giving you your free pass from last week. If you missed the message last week on marriage that Chris and Mary gave, that's your homework. Go back and watch that. Because one of the best things that you can do for the health of your singleness is to create a healthy view of marriage in your life. So you can either not be over-expecting or under-expecting what is possible for you in the near future. Um, but if, if you aren't married, you might not understand what it's like to be single in our culture. Um, and this is a real, real thing that happened to me not so long ago. I was, I was meeting um, a stranger at the time, and we were just trying to get to know each other. This person was married, and then they asked me, are you married? And I said, no. And they said, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 
I don't know what the word no communicates, but apparently it was deep anguish and pain and sorrow. But you see, that's, that's kind of the narrative, um, especially in a, a romance, love, marriage-centered culture that we live in about singleness. It's that it's filled with sadness and loneliness and a constant longing. And what this narrative does to a single person, it, it continues to push their worth lower and lower until maybe one day they could possibly reach this peak of marriage, this Disney-level idea of love. And for those, those singles who have not yet experienced marriage, what this also does is builds up kind of a false narrative of what marriage could be in their lives. And we think this is going to cure all of our problems. But, but married people, I need you to be verbally participant now with some loud reactions to this. Did marriage cure loneliness in your life? No. A little bit more enthusiastic. Did marriage cure loneliness? No. Did marriage cure sadness? No. Did marriage just fall in your lap as something super easy? Is marriage fun? Oh, come on! Oh, my goal today is to get every single married couple in trouble today. <laughs> but once again, if you're, if you're not married, um, we can create so many different false narratives based on the culture around us. And many singles will just live into this narrative. They'll live in a state of almost like purgatory where their, their life hasn't truly fully began until they get married. So all their years in singleness, whether that be a few years or their entire life, is just spent waiting until something happens. And whether you're, you're a high schooler who, who just experienced their first heartbreak or a 20-something-year-old single like I am who's been through the, the, the ringer a few times but hasn't experienced marriage yet, um, or you're a divorced four-year-old who has seen the ups and, more recently, the downs of marriage, um, but now you're trying to figure out how to raise a kid while being single. Or you're a 70-year-old widow who spent most of your life loving one person, and now towards the end of your life, you're single again in the most painful way possible. I think no matter what stage of singleness you might find yourself in, um, you can, you can relate to some of the core feelings of singleness. You've, you've probably been sad. You've probably been lonely. You've, you've longed for companionship. And at the core of these moments, you just want to know that someone else is thinking about you. And these are real, real feelings. These are real emotions. They aren't necessarily specific to singleness, but they are absolutely heightened in them. And sadly, what the church has historically done in this conversation of singleness, it has elevated marriage above singleness. Not necessarily intentionally, but the way that we've communica communicated about singleness has created a gap. You know, we've, we've given ideas like, man, once you're satisfied with God and God alone, then he'll bring the perfect one into your life. Or, man, before you can marry someone wonderful, he wants to make you someone wonderful. Great ideas. They're encouraging they give a purpose to the waiting of singleness. But beneath the surface, there's, there's some lies there. One of them is that if you're single, there's something major wrong with you that God hasn't worked out yet. Another idea is this, this idea that singles are, are living in a state of deprivation because they're not yet fully formed enough to be married. And, and that just simply can't be true. We can't live living this, this, this life with the idea that single people cannot be seen um, as less formed human beings than married people because Jesus Christ, 
who is the perfect man to ever walk the earth, was single. It's simple logic. We can't live in a, in a world where we see marriage above of singleness when it comes to being able to live into what God has for us because Jesus was single. I joke, like I would just walk up on the stage, say Jesus was single, drop the mic, and literally walk off, and that'd be the message. It, it is that simple um, when we talk about the way that culture views marriage and singleness and the way that the church should. Paige, Paige Brown, who's a, an author and a pastor, um, she writes extensively on singleness. She, she says it this way. She says, I'm not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I'm too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I'm single because God is so abundantly good to me, because this is his best for me. You know, this, this idea of singleness being the best and it being a good gift from God, it's uh, not one of the most loved ideas by single people. Because in all reality, it doesn't feel like a gift sometimes. Quite frankly, it feels like a backhanded slap to the face in other times. Um, but this, this is what Scripture tells us concerning singleness, that it is good, that it is a gift. And when Paul's writing to, to the Corinthian church, he's talking about... Um, husband and wife and how they should treat each other and respect each other and the intricacies of that relationship. And then in the middle of this conversation, he pauses and he says this, man, I wish that all of you were as I am. And he's speaking of his singleness. I wish all of you were single like I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Man, I wish all of you could experience the gift that I have in singleness. And it's important to distinguish here what Paul is actually talking about when it comes to the Christian single life. Uh, because in, in culture, the, the secular view of singleness um, is one that just distinguish, distinguishes if you are committed to a relationship or not. Beyond that, there, are, there aren't many social or sexual boundaries to singleness in, in the secular worldview. But in the Christian worldview, the Christian expectation of singleness is one of celibacy one of withholding sex because of the belief that it was designed specifically for the covenant of marriage. And if, if you're not a believer and you're here with us this morning, I'm glad you're here because you can probably understand better than someone who was raised in the, the purity culture of a church that what Paul is saying, that, that the boundaries and the commitment to celibacy of Christian singleness as a gift is kind of crazy. Culture tells us that the benefits of singleness is the freedom to, to bounce around from person to person, bed to bed, and experience life, and then finally one day decide on a commitment. But for Paul to call this a gift, it's kind of crazy. Because he must not have understood what, it's, what it was like to live as a single in this culture, in this day and age, in, in West Michigan, in a church. A gift? Because there are some challenges that are unique and specific to singleness, that can kind of give us a fair argument that it's not really a great gift. I was talking with, with a single friend of mine about the, the pains of cooking for one. Um, you either have to accept that you're just gonna eat taco meat for a week straight for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or you have to get like one of those, those fancy graphing calculators to, to figure out how to divide by the perfect ratio, by this and that, for every recipe to get the perfect single meal with no leftovers. And if you live alone, the, the challenges continue to kind of heighten too. The, the idea of sharing tasks isn't a reality. The dishes, the, the cleaning, the shopping, the, the, the everything else that laundry that, that involved in a home life is all on your shoulders. And these may seem trivial and small, but you take it a step further. Many singles will feel that their friends that are, that are couples 
also choose to hang out with, with friends that are couples. So now singles are feeling pushed out of, of friend groups and communities simply because they're not in a relationship. And if a, a single is single because of some sort of rejection in their life, a, a divorce or a heartbreak, every reminder of their singleness resurfaces the pain of that rejection. And I don't shine a light on these things to, to make you feel guilty if you're married. Nor do I shine a light to, to give singles a victim card to play when they're around their married friends. Um, I shine a light on these things to, to help us understand what Paul is saying about singleness is a really hard thing for singles to accept sometimes. It, it feels like God doesn't understand me if he's saying, man, your singleness is a gift. Because there's a lot of times where it does not feel like it especially if you're in an unwanted season of singleness, whether that's from a, from a heartbreak or a divorce or a death or just feeling rejected, it's hard to believe that. But here's the truth that I've been fighting against for years, um, and I want to communicate clearly for all, all the singles this morning. If we scoff at the idea of singleness being a gift from God, it's not because he has not understood us, it's because we have not understood him. And if you're, if you're questioning this morning, if you don't quite know what to believe about God, and, and singleness is one of those things that might be, be holding you up, I just want to have you ask a hypothetical question. Just if, if God were real, we're just going to start there. If what we read about God is real, that he is provider, that he is enough, that he is sufficient. If, if God, who, who created the entire universe but still knows the number of hairs in your head, if the God who knit you together in your mother's womb if that God is true, is it possible that he might know a little bit better than you do what's a gift in your life? Is it possible? You know, when, when Pete first asked me if I'd be willing to, to teach on singleness, um, to give this message, on the outside, of course, I was, yes, that'd be fantastic and an honor and a privilege. On the inside, I was like, no, 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 you dingus, don't say Yes. Because I was thinking, like, man, someone without a ring in their finger should not be the one to, to tell our church how to persevere through singleness. I don't have it figured out. And I started thinking a step further, like, man, I have, I have struggled for some time to, to view singleness as a gift. Um, loneliness and, and rejection and heartbreak have led me to a place where I've, I've questioned the very truth I'm trying to communicate this morning. I've begged God to take it away. I have struggled to find the joys of singleness. But, but as I was thinking through this idea of how should a, a single person live out the gospel, God just so, so gently reminded me that it doesn't matter if you're single or married. The primary calling is the same. So, so married people, your primary calling, your, your most important calling in this life is to love God and love others. My most important calling in my life as a single person is to love God and love others. Now, our secondary callings flow out of our lives, our current lives, what we do, what we like, what our, our careers, um, our families, our marriage, our singleness. Those things flow out of our secondary calling, but our primary calling to love God and love others is of equal importance. And when we can begin to understand that, we can start to look at the ups and downs of marriage and singleness and see the beauty and the gifts in both of them. So what, according to Paul, is this gift? What is this gift that he says, man, I wish all of you could be single? He goes on to say this. He said, I would like you to be free from concern 
An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he pleases the Lord. But a married man, he's concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So I want to take a step back here a second and look at, at marriage not as a social construct of a relationship, but, but more as what, what's God, what, what God is using to communicate about himself to his people, to us. So marriage communicates the depth of Christ's love, right? It's, it's a picture of the sacrifice that, that a husband and wife would do anything for each other. In the same way, Christ is saying, I did everything for you. I sacrificed myself for you. I poured my love out on you. So that's a picture of the depth of Christ's love. Singleness is the, the picture of the range or the breadth of Christ's love. So you got depth, you got breadth. And what, what singleness is communicating is that because we're not tied down to, to vow by one, to one specific person, we have freedom and uh, time to express the love of Christ to a broader range of people. And singleness also bears a very unique witness to the, the fullness that Jesus brings to our lives. Because you're not giving your body away, your, your whole person belongs to him. Your commitment to celibacy affirms the reality that Jesus is the only bread that satisfies. Even amidst all the challenges of singleness, your commitment uh, to singleness stands as a countercultural sign uh, to, to the kingdom of God, to, to your church, to your community, to the world around you. And both married and singleness point to and reveal to Christ's love in, in different ways, which means we need to learn from each other. Marrieds need to learn from singles. Singles need to learn from marries. But still, these aren't the gifts of singleness. This is just what it communicates to the world around us. You know, I'll, I'll admit that for several years, I, I was convinced that the gift of singleness was learning the discipline of waiting. Now, absolutely, there is waiting involved in singleness. And the Lord promises that good things come to those who wait on him. But if we, we, we use this as the one and only gift of singleness... I think we're still believing the lie that we need to be married to be enough. We're waiting for the better thing. We're waiting until it's finally complete. But I don't think that's the way that Jesus wants us to live in our singleness. So, so the word for singles this morning is don't live life like you're waiting. Live the most joy-filled life you can right now. So where, where's, where's that ball and the marker at? Oh, travel up. Of course, it's in the literal back corner of the room. I would like that back up on stage here. <laughs> if you want to like, just roll it down the, the aisle, I'll, I'll hop down and, and grab it and something. Um, but I just want to create a little contrast here of, of a life of singleness versus a life, um, or a life of living in a singleness and, and living in waiting. What kind of arm you got? Nope. <laughs> I respect the, the self-awareness. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Mark or two. Thanks. So if I were to live my life um, of singleness and focus it fully on waiting, that means I would be focused on myself and the possibility of a future spouse. That's never promised, but it's just a possibility. So that, that, that life would look very self-centered, right? But if I were to live a life of singleness and taking advantage of this gift of availability, this time and freedom and energy that I might have because I'm single, I can look back at my time of singleness and look at a life filled with names of people that I've had time to influence and impact and spend time with, 
people I may have never met, but because I took advantage of the availability of my singleness, I could live a life of impacting people. I don't know about you, but this life seems a lot more fulfilling than this one. A life full of taking advantage of availability. So, so the gift of singleness is not waiting. The gift of singleness is availability. And there's kind of this unspoken misconception that single people have like this, this weird Dr. Strange magic where we can add extra hours to our day, but that's not true. We all got 24 hours. But the reality is, single people don't have to carve out any of their, their 24 hours to care for a spouse. Now, if you're single, you're probably thinking, well, I have my own things that take up my time and energy. Of course, absolutely. But, but at the end of the day, you're not bound by, by a marriage vow to those things. They're your choice. So this, this gift of availability, it, it, I don't want to make myself clear. I'm not saying that every single person in this room should just abandon their social life and live a life full of serving. Um, 100% of your time serving is not healthy. It's not sustainable. But what I am saying here is, is that singleness will be void of joy, not happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is lasting. Ha- singleness will be void of that lasting joy if we don't take advantage of this gift of availability to, to impact and influence those around us as well as ourselves, Because the availability that a, that a single person brings to the church is something that a married person cannot bring. And the joy of singleness, the thing that Paul is saying, man, I wish you all had this because I, I have seen it. That joy is found by living into that availability. When you can look at the gift and say, man, that is good, and then, and then living into that availability, that's where the true joy of singleness is found. Now, if you were, you were walking in today, whether you got invited or just realized that we were talking about singleness today, if, if you walked in expecting a dating sermon, I'm sorry, that's not what you got. <laughs> I'm not going to line you guys up across the room and then the singles will meet in the middle and then that's your, that's your partner for the rest of the life. That's not what this is. And quite frankly, I'm not qualified and I don't get paid enough to have that conversation. But I'm much less concerned with that today too. I am much more concerned with, with looking at the singles of our community and our church that feel unseen and unspoken for and helping, helping them live a life of joy. Not of waiting, but of living into this gift of availability. So as we close, I want to give some, some very practical next steps. Um, I'm going to start with those of you who are unmarried. Or sorry, for those of you who are unsingle, non-single, married. There's a lot of different phrases here. Um, and I'll say just out of the humility, speaking on behalf of the singles of this church, we need you. In a culture where marriage is elevated above singleness in so many different ways, we need your help. So, so two quick things I'm asking of you this morning. First, intentionally surround yourself with singles. Make the decision to bring singles into your life. You know, I was talking with, with Mary Conrad last week after she and, she and Chris spoke on marriage, and she was just telling me this great story of how, how her family has grafted a single into their life. Even though there's no blood relation, they call this woman an aunt because Chris and Mary made the conscious decision, said, no, no, we're, we're not going to... Um, exclude this person from the joys of living with a family just because they're single. They brought this person into your life and said, you're part of our family now. 
And now this person goes on vacation with them, babysits the kids, gets dinner with them regularly. They're part of the family. And the beauty of this is that when you, when you surround yourself with, with singles, absolutely, you're, you're showing them and teaching them the joys and the downs and the, the ups and, and crannies of, of marriage, but you're also learning from them. You're learning what is it like to be a single. What can you tell me about the breadth of God's love? We're learning from each other here. And secondly, don't be afraid of those uncomfortable questions. We've made the discussion of, of singleness one of those taboo subjects. And there, there's no need for that. So, so married people, I just urge you, take a step of boldness. Ask a single in your life, what is it like right now? Do you feel lonely? Do you feel content? Is it hard? Is it easy? Do you want to be set up? Do you not want to be set up? Because what, what these kind of questions communicate to a single person is, is that there's no expectation that you need to do what I did as a married person. I'm just wanting to care for you as a friend, as a human to human, as a brother and sister in Christ. So ask the uncomfortable questions. Step out in boldness. And, and as a single person, I, I guarantee you that the single person will respond not in uncomfortability, but but in true gratitude of being seen and heard as a single person. And now singles, how do we live into this gift of availability? How do we find this joy? What do we do? First thing, seek out community. Don't just expect it to fall into your lap. It's gonna be hard. With, with singleness being a lot of times alone, you have to seek it out. But the Bible reminds us time and time again that we need this. We were created to be with other people. You know, when, when God creates Adam, he says it's not good for man to be alone. He's not speaking of marriage here, he's just talking about community. In Ecclesiastes, when it says two is better than one, not talking about marriage, talking about friendship. We need community in our lives. And there are so many great ways that we can do this. The church is one of those ways. We have so many different ways you can find community. Find a group. We've got so many great groups that you can join. Get serving with other people. Man, I'll let you know, there's some great spots that we have in the student ministry department. I know the guy that leads it. He'll get you right in. It's me, I'm the one. Just come talk to me after service. We'll get you hooked up. Serving with other people, joining a book club, joining the volleyball league, whatever it is, finding a place where you're going to be around other people whether they're older than you, younger than you, your same stage of life, different stage of life, the more that you surround yourself with people, you start to realize, man, I was made to not be alone. I was made to be in community. Second thing, learn and care for yourself. If, if you miss this during your time of availability, you're missing a huge part of this. If you look back at your life of singleness and realize your name is not on your own life, you're missing something. Because self-care is never selfish. What you're doing is you're actually just stewarding the, the limited resource that is you. And if we're called to pour out our, our lives of availability, absolutely we should be caring for ourselves. So taking this time of availability and, and asking the question, what, what brings me joy? What drains me? Who brings me joy? Who drains me? What kind of things bring me just a great sense of delight? Learning yourself is never selfish. Uh, Bob Goff, he's an author, he puts it this way. He says, there is massive power in self-awareness. Don't overlook or underestimate it. 
It's not indulgent to spend some time reflecting on your life. In fact, it's foolish not to. I love this. He says, if you need a counselor to help you get at what's under the hood in your life, get two. So don't, don't miss this part of this gift. And at the core of this is to remind yourself who you are. You have a mind-boggling worth because you were bought at a mind-boggling price. Whether you're married or single, that does not change. Remind yourself who you are. And lastly, the same way I just said to those who are non-single, intentionally surround yourself with married people. I spend most Tuesday nights with a group of, of married men um, eating Buffalo Wild Wings. Now, of course, I do love wings, and that's a, a reason that I do it. The biggest reason I do that is because I just get to sit and listen. I get to learn about the, the ups and the downs, the easy and the hard, the, the funny and the not so funny, all of the marriage things that I would never get if I just hung around with singles. And the more that you do this, you're gonna start to realize, man, marriage does not make a person whole. That only, that's only Jesus. So when you surround yourself with married people in the same way, you're gonna learn from them, but you also get to teach them. At the core, you're just reminding yourself that marriage does not make you whole. That is only through Jesus. And what you're doing in, in all of this is, is you're treating your singleness not with hands clenched, but with hands open. You're saying, God, I, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to seek out community. I'm, I'm going to listen. I'm, I'm going to learn. But at the end of the day, this is your gift for me. And rather than living a life of waiting, you're saying, I, I will wait until I get my spouse. I will wait until this is given to me. You're saying, no, no, no. God, your gift is right here and right now. It's in front of me because you are good and you have what's best for me right now. And, and let me remind all of us that, and this is what Chris and Mary said last week concerning marriage and it applies here too. The one who knows you best is the one who loves you most. The one who knows you best is the one who loves you most. Rest in that, that truth today. That it's not because of your singleness or because of your marriage or because of anything else in your life that you are loved. It's because you are known by your Father. And it's my prayer that, that all of us can surrender enough in our hearts to see those gifts in front of us that God has for us because he is good and because he wants the best for us. Let's pray. God, I don't want to move past the, the pains um, of those in this room and those listening that are, that are single. The realities of singleness um, and rejection and heartbreak. God, I pray that you would, you would cover them with peace right now, with comfort. But then, God, I also pray that you'd, you'd send community their way. That as they start to seek out different areas in their life, that you would give them friends. Give them families to be a part of that aren't their own. But God, would you help us all remember that we are loved by you, not based on what our life looks like or our relationships or our family or lack thereof, but we are loved because you know us and we are known by you. Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for this gift in front of us. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.